Welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. This podcast is one small part of a larger platform I've created dedicated to offering reflections on Islam, life, and mindfulness. I encourage you to visit makingsenseofislam.com to find a wide selection of articles, videos, other podcast episodes, and most importantly courses designed to distill the complexities of Islam's intellectual heritage into usable and practical tactics and strategies for day-to-day life. I'm also active on Making Sense of Islam social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, where you will learn about what's new and what's in the works. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. My guest today is Naveed Akhtar. Naveed is the founder and CEO of Alchemia.com, a video streaming service that showcases the best movies, dramas, documentaries, and lifestyle content about Muslim life, culture, art, history, people, and places, and so much more. He is an award-winning producer and a broadcast journalist with over 25 years of experience in mainstream UK television and radio. During his time at the BBC, he worked in both the arts and history department and advised senior management on diversity issues. He was responsible for organizing the first ever BBC conference on Muslim audiences and was the development producer for the acclaimed BBC Islam season, which included the award-winning Journey of a Lifetime documentary. Other works includes The Sword of the Samurai, Ramadan Diaries. For radio, he presented Nusrat Was My Elvis, The Black Cube, and A Dutiful Child. He has also worked on a number of key Channel 4 strands, including Channel 4 News and Dispatches, and for independent producers such as Shed Media, SMG, Tiger Aspect, and Mentron. Naveed was a senior producer on the 2013 Ramadan season at Channel 4, producing a series of 30 Ramadan reflections and the first ever Muslim hipster call to prayer broadcast on UK television. Naveed has served as a judge on the prestigious V&A Jamil Prize for Islamic Art, Sanford St. Martin's Awards for Religious Broadcasting, and the Royal Television Society Journalism Awards. He has lectured about the role of media in the global Muslim economy at the World Halal Forum in Kuala Lumpur, the Global Islamic Economy, economy Summit in Dubai, and advised Turkish broadcaster TRT on its global content strategy and producer guidelines. I enjoyed this conversation tremendously. I feel that we covered a lot of ground. And my plea to all of you who will listen to this, inshallah, is to please support the work of Alchemia. Go to alchemia.com now and subscribe, uh, hopefully for a yearly subscription. If that's too much right now, at least a monthly subscription. They are also currently engaged in a launch good campaign. I have placed the link to that in the episode notes. Please support this work, which is of the most, most importance for us currently. I can't stress that enough. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Naveed Akhtar. Naveed, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for making the time. I know you're extremely busy. So I'm going to just jump right in, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. No problem. So the first question I have for you is, why did you call your platform Alchemia? Uh, I wish I hadn't now sometimes, because 
Um, I, I, I've worked in television for 25 years, and um, to be honest, I, th I, I know it's a pretty useless uh, experience watching television. Isn't and uh, you know, I, I had a misspent youth watching television and ended up working in television, and so it's actually not a very great medium to for life. And I would recommend people do better things, read books, and take walks. But actually, I did have this idea that if you could transform it, you know, lead to gold, if you could take what is effectively something that is going to fill your head with nonsense, really, and it is of no value. But if you can actually transform that and people can be inspired and people can be learned, like all things, everything, you know, it's always about doing something for good. And so that process of um, taking things which are not valuable and making them valuable, Alchemy is very good. I guess investors love the idea, you know, led to gold. <laughs> so that's, a, that's another reason. But I think for me, it's also, it, 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 it's, it's not al-Khamiya, it's not the Arabic, and it's not alchemy, which is English. It is the Latin. And that is also symbolic for me because it's, that's the interspace. There's a connection between Spain, Italy, and Istanbul, which mm. we're, it's, it's, a, it's like a fertile crescent of activity where people met, ideas met, minds met. And so for me, that, that, that historically is very symbolic. And, and I, I'm, re, I'm very inspired by the, 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 the sense of where cultures and ideas met and hybridity emerged from those cultures and new ideas emerged. So I called it alchemy for many, many reasons. But of course, you know, it refers to the great um, treaties and the idea of alchemy is that, that actually it's not a it's not a material transformation, but uh, uh, one of the soul. That it, 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 it's a process that one one goes to improve themselves as a human being. Good. Well, I mean, I think that's uh, just getting people familiar with that phrase and what mm. that stands for. I mean, I think many Muslims might not know that alchemy uh, is yeah. a an Arabic slash Islamic concept and and, and discipline. Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I was attracted to the platform simply because of the name. So when, I, when I saw the name, I was like, ah, this is very interesting. Uh, you know, what's, what's going on here? These are people that I think I can, I can yeah. get along with. I, I, played, I played around with azimuth. Uh, you know, uh, I went through all of the lexicon of Arabic <laughs> words have entered the English language, you know. And I think that's always, uh, that's again, given the fact that I'm, I'm, I was born in London, I've lived here all my life, I am without doubt, you know. Um, British, I, don't, I have no doubt about that, and 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 so therefore a Westerner, you know, this idea of and a lot of my early life was did there used to be this very lazy type of journalism called Islam and the West. Well, one is a religion, the other is a region, you know. So uh, what about those of us who are Muslims of the West? And that's really what we've seen the emergence of. So um it, it, it was I, I always look for these words which are in common usage in the english language um but have come with origins from elsewhere you know so so actually you you, you reminded me when you said that you're british uh, of course we owe this uh fortuitous conversation to our mutual friend masoud khan mm, uh, yes hello masoud i hope you're 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 going to be listening to this and actually one of the conversations i had with him uh, not too long ago was about this idea of identity. And I said, look, to me as an American, when I hear you, Masoud, you, you sound to me like you're a British person. You know, I mean, I know you're Muslim. I understand that and that you, you're ethnically, you're, your family comes elsewhere. But as an American, I hear that you are England. You know, you are English. 
And we, so we kind of sparred a little bit on that concept. And, and mm. one of the things that he helped me understand was that there is a little bit of a trauma growing up as a, as a child of a Muslim immigrants or as an immig- Muslim immigrant in the UK that as an American, I'm really unfamiliar with. Uh, but you, you very emphatically state, no, I am British. And I, I, I get that as an American, I get that. But do you think that that's shared by some of your co-religionists, uh, you know, in the UK? Uh, definitely not. It's not. And I, I would say more people who share my heritage, Pakistani, Kashmiri, they, they, they see that as almost, you know, uh, uh, they take pride in not saying that they're British. Okay. And I, so why do I do it? Why am I, why am I being different? I guess it's why I ended up being a journalist. I guess it's why I ended up at the BBC. And then I, I, I've made a living out of exploring identity as a journalist, as a broadcast journalist in radio and television. I've made endless programs about it. So probably more than other people, I've had to think about it quite a lot. But what, pres- what, what, what led to me thinking about it was that, that while I was born here, my mother told me the story that when I was born, they lived in a house which was a large Victorian house, almost like a, you know, uh, what, what you would call a brownstone in America, you know, and in that were about 40 men and about five women. And this is in the late 60s. And so the men, everybody came with the five-year plan, you know, you, we make money and go. And my dad was an exception in that he also then sent for my mum to come. And, and many people were annoyed with that because it was like, well, why have you brought your wife here? You know, we're going to make money and we're going to go back. And so when I was born, it was, my mother described it, of course she would, as the adoration of the Magi. It was this one baby with all <laughs> the adults, you know. And so everybody came and traditionally you give money. And she said that, that they all laughed and joked and said, look, he has a British passport. He's actually British <laughs> because we're all, we're all born, you know, we all have green Pakistani passports and we are not naturalized. We'll have to go back. We're only here for a temporary period. And so actually I was very conscious growing up that I was one of the first who had been born in my kind of wider clan of people in my community who had been mm. born in Britain. And uh, at the age of nine, I went back to Pakistan for a year, had a terrible experience. That's the only thing I can describe it. I mean, I now as an adult, I can look back and yeah, wow, I, I great gained bandwidth in terms of understanding the world understanding people at a very what was a very young age because my childhood was interrupted and um i went from living in the big metropolis big city to a, a kind of a backwater in the punjab you know i saw all kinds of um, things you know geography ideas people behaviors i'd never encountered and so when i came back i guess I really thought much more deeply about these two identities. It wasn't, I didn't, and, and when they would say to me, oh, our wonderful land that we came from, I'd be like, no, actually, no. Not, not so wonderful. It wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you know what, if it was that great, why aren't you still there? You know, so I sort of questioned it all. And um, so I went through a long period of not, not at all, uh, of rejecting it really and thinking, mm. hey, look, I want nothing to do with this. And then I got to art school and I was doing, I, I, I was studying design and I was doing kind of uh, art school. And um, I, I, met, I met teachers there who said, okay, so where are you from? I'm like, well, I'm from East London. No, 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 come on, where, where are you really from? Where are your parents from? Yeah. What's your heritage? Yeah. Oh, Pakistan. What, Pakistan, amazing. I went there, I was a hippie. I traveled through there. I've been to these places. I was like, yeah, my family are near there. Oh, that's incredible. The beauty, this, the art, the culture. And I would like, 
that's not what I know. I don't know that. All I know is the politics, the corrupt this, the corrupt that, the terrible situation here. Mm. There's no money. No one can earn a living. I don't, I, how comes I don't know about all this stuff? And of course, where would I have learned it from? Nobody thought to teach me that. And so actually, I, I then kind of went on exploring this journey throughout my, my, my career and my job. And I, at some point, I guess, I was able to look my father in the eye and say, look, listen, I'm not Pakistani. You are. You know, mm. and it, it did upset him. It did hurt him. But at the same time, I've evolved that over and over again. So if someone asks me, what is your identity? I always say I'm 100 percent British. I'm 100 percent Pakistani and I'm 100 percent Muslim. That's 300 percent. And I'm probably 10 percent Japanese and, you know, 5 percent German. And but, so I, I, be, I see the world in that way now. But to be fair, I think some of my English friends that talk about the trauma. Mm of growing up in the, in the, we're about the same age, uh, plus or minus. I think what they mean by, by the trauma is they didn't necessarily feel accepted by the wider English society. Is that something that you experienced as well? I mean, you as a person, if it's between Pakistan or England, you're like, yeah, I'm English. I mean, I was born here. I grew up here. I that I, I think we can all get that. But did you feel accepted by the wider community, by your classmates, by your, your teachers, then when you went to the BBC, by your colleagues? I would say yes and no in equal measure, okay? Um, the bits that were no, there wasn't much I could do. I didn't feel very empowered that I could do much about it. So I learned a practical, pragmatic way of navigating that, okay? So I'd stay out of the things where it's going to cause me loss of life, which, which happened while I was growing up. I, I mean, literally, they burnt people's houses and there was arson attacks and people died. So you just learn how to navigate around some of that. I didn't, I'm, you know, I'm just pragmatic. And actually, yes, because I did achieve. I did, I did you know, I, I'm here because of the kindness of the two old Christian ladies across the road who my mum would have struggled as an immigrant with no family structure around and people there working and they, and people stepped up, people stepped up, didn't see who we were, our color, whatever, just thought, wow, you know, there's a lady bringing up her kids, let me help you. And so yes or no, yes or no, in all cases, I had Jewish neighbors. We had, we had, you know, we shared jokes. We shared the same football team. We had a great laugh, whatever. We lived through things like, you know, some of the worst conflicts that Jews and Muslims, we lived through that period and somehow managed to kind of find a way through it. Um, and as I've grown older, I, I have a deeper spiritual understanding. I, I, I follow the spiritual path. And so I've been able to take responsibility. I've been able to hold myself to account and I've been able to hold my parents to account. So what happens to a community who comes here? who comes here out of a Pakistan that's newly born, who comes out of a history, a legacy of colonialism, who then project this sense of, you don't like us, you ruled us, we don't like you, we, want you, we, want you, we wanted you to leave our country. And then on top of that, my father used to say, you can stay here all your life, you can think you're British, they'll never accept you, they'll never do this. Well, one of the guys I went to um, my university with, he was in the same year, he's now the mayor of London, right? Um, there's other people I know who sit in the House of Lords who, who I've personally known all my life, you know? So you can say you, you're not going to be accepted, but then that becomes what, it, what that, you will manifest that. Mm. You will manifest that. So from a spiritual point of view, it requires you to see the best in people in order to experience the best in people. It requires you to raise your game to a higher level where you seek to find those who 
will assist you, those who will help you. But, and, and I can assure you, in my own career, in my own life, people have come to help me and I've slapped it back in their face thinking, what the hell would you know about my pain or my struggle or my mm. identity? And actually, when I now, at, the, at, the, at this ripe old age, you know, I, I have some white hairs and I can look back and think, oh man, that guy was the best thing. He was actually trying to save me, you know? And I, that was the answer to my diet. It was... Yeah, and, and the at ribbon. the time, I was just like a total jerk to him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm embarrassed. And I've, I've actually recently written back to somebody and said, look, I want to apologize to you because I really, I really didn't get what was going on there. I was a very emotional. And I might have made a really big deal. I did make a big deal out of something. And actually, now I think back, you were actually being very kind to me, some of the stuff mm. you said. It was hard for me to take it, but you, it was really good advice. And, you know, I hope you can find it in yourself to, if, you, if you felt offended by my response. You can find yourself to forgive me, you know. So you, I think... You, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so, I, I, so I, 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 I get all of that. And then on top of that, I, to be honest, again, I lost my mum from cancer at a very young age. Um, I was 30, she was 53. And that was my safety. You know, that really was the place of safety for me. Um, she, she, mm. she, she was the person who told me, look, you're going to be amazing. You can achieve anything. When she went, I, it, it was the first time I really understood I'm going to have to go deeper. I, I'm not going to be able to find my way through life just by getting a better job, fulfilling myself with money or any of this kind of stuff, or even necessarily going on the hard you're reading, five, uh, reading my prayers five times a day. Actually, I'm going to have to get really deep into myself. Mm. And I started that process initially through just some bereavement therapy. And then I think it, after that, that opened up a lifelong, uh, you know, the, the past 25 years have been nothing but then exploring who am I? Why am I here? You know, what's the point of it all? Because <clears throat> I stood, I stood in, in front of her grave, myself and my brother, we climbed into her grave. And, and buried her, you know, and then we, we climbed back out and we put, we put the earth on her. And you just, this is, it's like the veils lifted, so many veils lifted, an yeah. absolute moment of truth. It's you know? very sobering. I mean, this is a complete, a complete tangent. Do you, you think I could just leave the grave, the graveyard and be knocked over and be in the next grave? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, a complete tangent. But one of the things I tell my local community members, I say one of the greatest blessings i feel serving a local community is actually that i i provide and conduct the funeral rites for so many yeah. members so you know this like last year alone probably have buried maybe 10 to 12 community members and i let me tell you you know nothing wakes you up yeah. than that reality when you stand there and you know you got to you know you got to uh, do all of the sunnah things, of course, the, the yeah. washing, the, the shrouding, the janazah and, and the burial, but then you have to be there for the family. And then when I come home at night, I'm like, wow, you know, that was real. Yeah. Like, what am I doing with my life? You know, that could, like you said, that could be me. That could yeah. be me tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 can, I totally sympathize with that. Her death, her, her untimely death, you know, 53 is nothing, right? So then I started to think, well, who was she? What, 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 what caused this? And of course, she was eight when partition happened. Mm. She carried that, man. And then, and then I started to think, wow, you know, when, this when certain things happen, I react in this way. Why do I react in that way? Well, I learned that from her. 
Now, why did she react in that way? Well, because she lived through something really quite awful. You know, the Muslim Holocaust, the Pakistani Holocaust, whatever, the Indian Holocaust. I mean, it's, you know, million dead. She, three quarters of our, my personal family were wiped out at that point. Okay? Wow. And my dad says when he arrived in Pakistan, um, you know, he, he was 17, 16. He, he said he had just started shaving. And he, it was him, his brothers, and, and a lot of old ladies and some children, you know, he buried his, his nephew, who was two mm. years old, on route, uh, who just starved to death. And um, so, so they were there. They were like a benchmark for me to kind of think, wow, you lived through that. And so mm. I'm talking about trauma. But, but, but it, it does happen. And then when I then go looking for partition trauma, the thing that, first thing that comes up is, of course, Holocaust trauma. There are survivors, which are four generations on. There are patterns that are established. There's behaviors mm. there. So when, when Masood talks about trauma, I get it. We're from that same Kashmiri diaspora. We've had two or three different diasporas. So we, many of our community left Kashmir forcibly because of the, the, the separation of Kashmir. We then ended up in the, in the district of Mirpur, where they then, within 10 years, built the largest hydroelectric dam in Southeast Asia displaced another 100,000 people. Yeah, and yeah. so the second displacement took yeah, place. Yeah. And because of that, actually, people had the money to come to England and then came to England into effectively what were very white working class communities who just saw them as a threat, really. And so the hostility was there. And what it does to you is it actually, it's actually, you know, this is also what, what Dr. Uh, Dr. Omar talks about, you know, the, the sense of the roots have been cut. Mm. Your roots go, right? And so you've got to suddenly become British. You've got, to, you've got to understand how to find that hybridity. How are you going to, what are you going to keep? What are you going to lose? Um, yeah. What's important? What's not important? You know, how do you make that work? How do you, you can't grow Pakistani mangoes in East London, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not going to work, right? But that's what the expectation was, was of our parents. They, sure, they yeah. And the expectation of the people around us was, well, your name's Navid, it'll be easier for me to call you David, you know, and why don't you <laughs> assimilate into what we're doing, okay? And we'll always say to you, wow, you've got a lovely brown skin, you must have been on holiday somewhere. It was, those were the ways that, that they could cope. Yeah. And so we had to kind of find our way through it. But I guess for me, I... I just, I just saw this as sanity. You know, I have mm. to, I have to have, I need to anchor myself somewhere. I, I've, I mean, I'm very close to Masood and I know his dad's still alive. So, so that, that kind of stuff, there's some people, places in somehow, I can go to my aunt's house. I can't say I'm British. I just have to be quiet. You know, yeah, yeah. they're going to be tolerated. You know, they, 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 to them, they don't, they don't share those experiences. But I think for the next generation on, we have to, we have to absolutely say we're proud. We're proud of all of that. That's why, I mean, we've, made, we've got a program called For Allah, King and Country. In fact, both my grandfathers fought for the British Indian Army. So there is a long heritage. It's not even just simply we just came from nowhere to here. There was a so reason why. All of these questions, uh, what I'm driving at is, is in my research, you said something in one of your interviews about, I think it was around the time where you were leaving the BBC or, you know, kind of making the plunge into what you're doing now, which we'll definitely inshallah get into. But you said, I realized I had two identities. I had like a corporate identity. And I also had this, you know, like Muslim slash like ethnic identity. Mm. And I was so happy when you said that, because one of my personal struggles is I, I keep, I journal from time to time and I keep writing. Why are there so many Tariqs? I just want to be one Tariq. I just want to be one. Why do I have to be, 
this, this, yeah. this, and that. I just want to be myself. And when I came to terms with that in my, my own way, uh, man, mashallah, it was a huge relief. Uh, mm. I'm like, okay, it's just who I am. And it's just the easiest thing is to be yourself. And I, and I really would love to, without, you know, yeah. getting too much personal stuff. I mean, I don't mean to, you know, no, pry into I, your personal I'm life. I'm an open book. I'm an but, open book. But I would right? love to, I would love yeah. to hear from you why you, why you stated it that way. And what is it like living? Because I think a lot of us have these multiple faces and personalities. Uh, well, I think we get good at it. We, 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 the ones of those of us who succeed, because I know also a lot of people who didn't succeed. You know, my dad worked as a tandoori chef. He worked in an Indian restaurant. He had a great career. He never knew any white people. He never met any white people. The guy who delivered the meat, the vegetables, the rice, the guy who owned the business, the people he worked with all his life. He lived in London. He, know, he didn't know a single white person as his friend. Other than our neighbors where he just sort of said hi and that was it. He didn't go any further than mm -hmm. that. But there are plenty of people who have lived in that bubble. But us, the next generation, education, corporate life, you know, whatever, you name it, you know, even just getting out to the community, it means that you, 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 you get good. You get good at wearing the hats, okay? You know how to switch between this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And what that can lead to at a certain time in your life is strain. It's, it's very strenuous on you, on your a mental strain, you know, constantly switching. And then, of course, you know, with all of the kind of the tools that have been developed around identity and the self, it, it comes out as, well, it's inauthentic. It's fundamentally mm -hmm. inauthentic, you know. And so actually... Until we start having some very honest conversations with, uh, what did you do at the weekend? Well, I didn't play golf. I didn't do that. I went, I went and buried three guys. You know, it's like, whoa, okay, too much, you know. <laughs> so we edit ourselves and we say, you know, because we just think, look, you can't deal with that. Because that, that, there is this sense of we sometimes are living a life that is very real, very deep, very profound. And other people are live, have, have chosen to, it's their choice. They're, live, they're living a life of, of flippery and fun you know mm. and, and and they see that as having meaning or or they don't want to seek meaning so we so for whatever reason we get very good at it but there comes a point in your life where i think especially with age you just think i i, I can't be dealing with this anymore and for me um there was this there there is a story of another Tariq. okay so Tariq ramadan arrived in london with great fanfare and great hope and it was like the great european you know, he, he's writing all these books and he's like, this man's yeah. got, got the handle on it, right? Okay, and we were so excited, okay, because we're looking for the intellectual... The it intellectual. was like messianic. It was messianic. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we need that, right? So yeah. we're looking for who's, who's going to be our next hero. And so I attend one of the first lectures that he gives. Mm. And uh, it's just a Muslim-only audience. And he, it, and he was great. He was really great. He does all his stuff and he's like, and you know, you, you have all become, you are schizophrenic, you know, you don't know, you're schizophrenic, you don't know who you are, and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And then right at the front, little girl puts her hand out, you know, I say little girl, I mean, you know, undergrad, you know. Yeah. Uh, where the hijab gets up, and she says, I'm quite offended by what you're saying, actually. Whoa. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> quite, yeah. quite, quite. You can't, you can't say that. I'm not. I'm not schizophrenic. You're talking about me and I'm not schizophrenic. Mm. I'm a skilled cultural navigator. I completely mm. know how to behave in that environment. And I completely know how to behave in this environment. And I'm completely comfortable in that environment. And I'm completely comfortable in this environment. Mm. So don't call me schizophrenic because actually some of us, we've really, 
we've really developed our skills and we're, we're, we're skilled cultural navigators. So then I kind of thought, wow, that's really, that's a great take because actually instead of seeing it as a handicap, you, start, you started seeing it as a positive. And then of course Obama, when Obama turns up, he's like Afro-American, grew up in Hawaii, white father, you know, African, sorry, white mother, African father, lived in Indonesia. And that's when I first hit, he said, I'm hyper diverse. It's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, so it's this kind of idea of people, mm. people just sort of seeing it as a great quality, mm. as an ability to, you know, that you, you are somebody who is not, not pigeonholed. And of course, we've seen the worst of it. We've seen, we've seen what happens when a Kandahari Afghan has a conflict with the Texan oil man, you know, and you can't get more, uh, you know, closed off than these two groups of people. And the rest of the world, which is, we're, we're the ones who have to suffer because these guys are like, just got these kind of absolute polarized ideas sure. of what the world is about. So actually, I think the world's a better place when people have these things. But at the same time, I also got to the point where I just felt, I, I, I want the freedom to be, I want the freedom to speak in my own voice. I want the freedom yeah. to discuss my own things. And even at the BBC, there was just still too much of the red pen coming out for me. You know, it got to the point where, yeah. okay, I understand the value of the red pen when I was training, when I was learning, when I was perfecting my craft. But then it got to the point where I was saying to people, no, you, you, you don't get it. You don't need to put that red pen there. That's just you now actually sure. altering it. And you're, yeah. and it, it's not needed. And actually, if you, if you have the guts to leave it, you're going to hear something you've never heard before. Did you uh, know Michael Wakelin at the BBC? I do. I do know who he is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Michael and I worked together when, when I had an office in, in London, a coexist foundation office. So yeah. from Michael, uh, and also from probably our mutual friend, Abdurrahman Malik, right. uh, who's also been a, a guest on this podcast, I understand that the BBC is a very British institution and you, you need to know what that statement means to understand, you know, what it's yeah. like. It's extremely British. Yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and the things that you were able to pull off really are like almost like at a, like a coup level, even though 9-11 kind of spoiled a lot of that momentum. But the things that yeah. you were able to do when creating content for Islam and Muslims I think people don't, you know, realize that's a huge, that's a revolutionary. Yeah, I call it the golden years. I mean, uh, I, I did listen to your podcast with Abdul Rahman, you know, and him talking about Fuad. So what happened was I got, I, 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 I took a sabbatical out of film, out of filmmaking for six months. And I went to uh, what is, what was then was called the diversity department. And they, they said, okay, you need, it's great that you're coming here. I said, look, I just feel I can help you with audiences, alternative mm. audiences, minority audiences. And so that's when actually I put Islam on the table. I started to say, look, you know, mm. do you know? And they said, well, we don't register it as Muslims. We, we, we recognize Asians. We have Asians, you know, and this is a homogenized group. And I said, well, there's been an identity split that's been taking place gradually. And mm. people, don't, we may all come from Southeast Asia, but actually Muslim identity is becoming more important. So it, what, what it transpired into was the first ever conference on Muslim audiences. And this was about 97, 98, we did that. And, you know, I, I got forward in, uh, Rana Kabani, she came in. We, we, we had a range of different people mm, coming mm. to explain all this. And what eventually came out of that was they agreed on an Islam season, a season of 25 programs about Islam to be made. It's unprecedented, all, all yeah. to be shown 
together. You know, I mean, they they put them they put them out over the August uh, over the August period when everyone's on holiday. But nevertheless, it was mainstream television at a time sure. when there was no internet. There was absolutely no internet then. Um, there was, you know, it was a different time in a different place. So it it was quite a big achievement. It and it was incredible because it went out August two thousand and one, uh, and a month later, you know. <laughs> Days later, days later, it was it was just all washed away. It was all all that gain was gone. It was gone, Mm. and it was it was like we were back in, and then and you know, and and then I was busy. You know, I I was like one of one of the only guys there, and it's like you know, who is Ben Laden? What is Jihad? Yeah, yeah. So you you became a token Muslim like me. I remember that time where like, oh, you're Muslim, so you're going to be a resident scholar on all of these geopolitical jihadi issues. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, but despite that, I used to go off and get the odd commission, you know, and increasingly, I realized because I was becoming a lot more, uh, I don't know, if I wanted to be more specialized. I wanted to be more nuanced. I didn't want to just do, hey, Ramadan again, you know, oh, we don't eat, we don't do. So I kind of like, <laughs> haven't done that 15 times. I was like, so, there's a, so I went and there, there was a, there's a radio station called Radio 3, which is mostly classical music. Yeah, I know Radio 3. Philosophy, you know. Um, a bit of jazz, uh, a bit of uh, world music. Okay, so I pitch an idea there: the black cube. Okay, and uh, it's mm. the metaphysics of the Kaaba. Okay, um, and it's based on an essay that I read by Sheikh Abdulkeem Murad, which is you know uh, the, there is a great Russian constructivist painter Malevich, and okay. he's one of the first painters who says I'm write this uh, down. The, the revolution because of the Russian revolution, we've got to stop painting portraits. Okay, portraits indicate age, beauty, wealth, position, status. And so when they abandon portraits, they start painting, and landscape, they start painting geometric shapes, squiggles, Mm. lines, all of this kind of stuff. And so when he has this seminal exhibition, the the heart of the exhibition, he paints what he calls the end of art, and it's a black square. And so (laughs) this recurring motive of the black square keeps reappearing it appears in new york in the 50s with abstract expressionism interesting and so so i kind of take took that as an idea to say well what what is abstract what Mm. is abstract okay um and you know we know that allah is no allah is nothing that we can think he is he is no thing you know and so actually i went to interview someone who was a scientist who was looking for the quark and atoms and there is the crazy thing they look for something that they don't know what it is they're looking for, I mean, at CERN, they're looking for something they don't know what it is. They just have an idea that there's something there. Yep. But they don't, and, and I, I thought it was incredibly religious. So, you know, this, is very, this is very similar to what we're doing at that level. Well, it's so, very spiritual. Yeah, yeah very, and so I, I, so I was lucky enough to make a radio program on it. I mean, I think maybe five people heard the thing, you know, but <laughs> it, it, it was very good. And then just yesterday, um, two days ago, uh, was the anniversary of the death of Nusuf Fatih Ali Khan. And of course, you know, he was one of the key people in my childhood, well, my, my late teens, that cemented me back into my Pakistani identity and my Sufi identity, my Sufi heritage. And if it wasn't for him and listening to, to that music. And so I made a documentary called Nusrat Was My Elvis, which was actually Jeff Buckley. You know, he, he said that. He, he was inspired by it. And so I was always looking for these things which were about the elusive Muslim cool, you know, what is that thing that mm. makes us acceptable? Because then we, don't, then we can stop editing out the bits that people don't like. So we start having conversations around what, 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 do, what does everybody like? And I guess I've been thinking about that all the time, because especially as someone who trained in design, you open a copy of the Architectural Digest or El Decor, 
And if you're in the, you know, the Upper East Side, or if you're in the left bank on Paris, or if you're in, you know, one of the posh villas in bits of, you know, uh, West London, and you've made it, what are you going to have? You're going to have a Persian or a Turkish carpet on the floor. You're going to have, you know, Moroccan tiles in your fireplace. You're going to have Uzbeki iCat in your cushions, silk cushions. Suzani, you're going to have a pashmina scarf. You're going to have falafel and hummus in your fridge and you're going to have roomy on your bookshelf right yeah and it's like the the most valuable things on this earth they come from the muslim mind they come from the muslim creativity and then so actually this is a conceit to say actually when we think muslim we think Mm. you know headscarves halal meat or terrorism so actually so there's a sense of actually that's ours to that to that point you know the the brand hermes so one one of the hermes uh generation that's alive now uh he is uh, a supporter of interfaith work so i attended a conference in a house that he owns in marrakesh wow and it's it's a traditional riyadh and everything and and you know one afternoon he gave us a tour of his house and then i asked him i said what what would make you you know leave paris i mean you're you're very you know very french and you know well-established family and then he he pointed to the ceiling he's like where you know where can i find a ceiling like this in Paris. And at night, he brought like this uh, Sufi group uh, to do like in shed and he put on like the Moroccan jalaba. And I was like, you know, that verse in the, in the Quran in, in Surah Yusuf, uh, when, when they say, this is our, our thing, it came back to us. And that's what I thought. I was yeah. like, you know, subhanAllah here, here uh, is like, you know, one of the most elite, you know, European families. And he's yeah. totally immersing himself in North African, Moroccan, Muslim, uh, culture. That's incredible. I, I mean, I, as somebody who studied design and, and I've practiced for a while, but I've also sat on a number of boards where the idea of creativity, I mean, there was a big project here, 80 million plus we had to spend on creativity, culture and education. And through that, I learned a lot of the kind of deeper concepts of the theory of creativity. But I, I mean, I'd also studied that in my undergraduate course. And one of the things is that there is a global creativity index, which means that investors in particular are looking like, you know, where do we put our money? Do we put it into America? And then when it's America, it's, you know, Ralph Lauren and, you know, uh, you know, also Facebook and all mm. these kind of cool things. And so it's creating culture there. And then sometimes it's, it's, it goes to Italy and it's Vespa scooters and Giorgio Armani. And then sometimes mm. it's Japanese. And so it moves around. And when it comes to Britain, it's Stella McCartney, Paul Smith, and those minis with union jacks on them. And it's, so there's, so there's all these distinct identities. And I kind of thought, well, if we did the Muslim creativity index, you know, Hmm. you rank what 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 is what has had impact in the world. And of course, at the top would be Rumi, because you could you could travel to bits of South America where they've never even heard of what Islam is. But they're reading Rumi and they're reading it translated into their local language and it's impacting. them. And if you said what's the most important mosque in the world or building in the world, it's not the Kaaba because they can't go there. But if you stand in the blue mosque, you will see the. Italian, American tourists, they come in, they're uncomfortable covering their hair, they're jiggling with their sarong because they've got their shorts underneath. And then just for a moment, they suddenly look up and the Jalal and the Jamal meet. And there's tears, and there's tears. There's always tears, I see. And that's that's just beauty, absolute pure beauty being expressed. And, And so we just went through it. And, you know, if you show someone a Pakistani truck, you know, 
they just they smile. <laughs> you know, they like see you just say the word Pakistani tribe, people smile. You know, you play a few bars of Kuali music, right? Yeah. And that's people are yeah. vibrating, start moving. They don't understand anything. You know, and so there's food in there. I mean, the kebab. You know, okay, so you can just start to. And I thought this is what we, you know, ranking these things, which mm. actually they have this universality, mm. and and so it became. Uh, you know, and, and of course it becomes important because this is, we've done so much, we've had so much progress in reviving traditional Islam, in reviving, uh, you know, methodologies, teaching systems, sciences, we've set up institutes, we've done, you know, incredible work's been done in the past 20, 30 years. And, and you can go and learn all this stuff, you can do that. My, my wife is um, herself a graduate of uh, the Visual Islamic Traditional Arts School. She has a master's in Islamic geometry. And that itself was established by Prince Charles because yeah. he's a great yeah. fan of traditional Islamic architecture, right? And, uh, yeah. to, and tradition itself. And so she was taught by uh, two guys, English guys, who learned geometry from Moroccan Zillage masters. Hmm. And they taught her. And while they taught her, they said to her, we don't have Ijaza. These guys taught us only up to a certain point because they said, look, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. I'm, I'm, I, I gave up Christianity, but I do believe in Islam in that, in that wider sense. And I learned at the hands of these masters, but you are a real Muslim. So you, and, and, and the only other unusual thing was they said that they would never teach a woman. And so she's female. And so she was learning this geometry. Generally mm. women do the Islaming and all that. And so it's incredible, this idea that actually we've built all these institutions, but actually it's the culture, the culture, the culture. That is what makes it, it makes it real for people. Mm. That's what, you know, so we, we've got this bedrock of scholarship, and, but we've, we've, we, we need to do a lot more. We need to do a lot more with making it palatable, you know. Um, so, and if you, if you were to say what's created a big impact in America, probably the halal cart guys. I mean, you know, they've had oh, more yeah. impact on people than, than any of the, you know, sure, the, sure. the great scholars that we're producing. <laughs> Naveed, one of the things you said about yourself is you said that you're a reluctant entrepreneur. Yes. And I know that uh, in, in getting to Alchemia, we're, we're almost there. Uh, there was a, uh, a startup that didn't make it. I can't remember the name. What was the name of Gazelle, I think? Yeah, Gazelle, Gazelle Media. Gazelle Media. Yeah. And you talked about the importance of failing fast, learning from your failures. So I'm, I'm a fellow entrepreneur and, uh, you know, sometimes it's amazing and most of the times it's like doom and despair. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to hear from you a little bit before we get to Alchemy, a little bit about what that's experienced. Why do you call yourself reluctant uh, entrepreneur? I guess if I had been allowed the freedom to do what I wanted to do, I would have carried on making programs. You know, I mean, even today I was just talking to a, a, a friend about the frustrations of finance, you know, trying to raise that. And he said when Billy Wilder was, you know, at the end of his career, they gave him an Oscar and they said, wow, 60 years of making films. And he said, no, five years of making films, 55 years of trying to raise the money to make the films, you know. And uh, so that, that actually is a, is a, it's a huge frustration for me. If, so if, had, I, had I been fulfilled at the BBC, if I'd, if I'd been given that sort of, and it's like the ultimate patronage, isn't it? What traditionally anybody could do is here, look, here's the materials, here's the support, do what you Just want to do. Be creative and create the be content. Creative, yeah. And so, so actually it got to the point where I thought the only way to do this is actually to own the whole system, is to kind of have that understanding of it. And actually, increasingly, we're seeing this Black Lives Matters, Black Voices Matter, Black Narrative Matters, Black Money Matters, okay? 
and we're in the same boat. You know, Muslim, Muslim voice matters, Muslim narrative matters, Muslim economy matters, Muslim money, money matters. And then when you look at people like Tyler Perry, what he's achieved, you know, it's literally a parallel existence. Um, and I think for, for, for me, the, the, there was a lot of stuff that I had to dispose of. You know, one was the sense mm -hmm. that we've come here to win. We, as, as, as economic migrants, we've come here to win. We've come here to fit into the system. We've come here to collect their medals, to get, <laughs> to get recognition that we're just as good as they are, all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And so I always had a very negative attitude myself to somebody's, Muslim version of so and so, Muslim version of Facebook. Oh, what? Why? You know, what's wrong with the normal Facebook? You know, yeah. Muslim version of this, Muslim version of that. But it's it's you get to a certain point and you realise actually, we ne I'm never going to get that. The, it's the voice. It's what we're saying. This is. It, it, I'm not saying anything that's offensive. I'm not saying anything that's dangerous or seditious. But actually, it's like food. They don't really want to taste this stuff. They don't really want to mm. hear the depth of what's going on. And what I, what I, I mean, you know, I don't know how long I've got left on the planet, but I can see, and I can visualize it. What's coming is the, and we're literally the first, this kind of idea of spiritual filmmaking, mm. you know, and, and, and there's very few people who've even attempted it or, I mean, you know, it's there, there's flickers of it in Kurosawa's work. Majid Majidi is definitely sort of, you know, touching at that. And actually, it's, it's that, I mean, because the first stage of Muslims getting into the media has just been nothing but, you know, okay, religious instructions. This is, it's a great way for me to tell you, instead of you coming to class, you just watch this video and we'll get that through to you. But now we're moving to that stage where actually you could make something that has a profound impact on someone, you know, mm. that, that actually is, that they experience in a spiritual way. Um, I don't think we're there yet, I think, but, but we had to start. And one of the best ways to do that is obviously we, we have to have full control of the methods of production, the distribution models, all of that kind of stuff. How, how did you get over the, the failure? Just going back to that for a second. I mean, as oh, a, man, <laughs> I, 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 I'm asking I, for personal reasons because. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I met coaches. I met people who were coaches. I've been, I mean, look, I, met, I always make dua. One of my biggest dua, yeah, Allah, send me, send me the people who are going to help me, right? <laughs> And keep me from those who are going to take me down the rabbit hole, you know, keep me from the people who leave me. And there's a lot of that. There's, there's just so much distraction these days. But I, I've been lucky. I, I, I recently, when I hit a low point, almost the same time, I met two, two different people. The first guy I met, his family had been in cinemas since they were invented, you know. And uh, he knows a lot about the media. But he actually, his, his whole um, passion is helping businesses with purpose. And... Uh, so he, and, and that was the first version of Alchemy. We showed, uh, so he said, look, send me a subscription. I gave it to him and he called me up and he said, look, I looked, I looked through all your content. Okay. And at that time there was only like 50 films. He said, I couldn't find anything to watch. Then there was a film called Salam Dunk. He said, I thought this looked interesting. And, and for two reasons. One, he said, I'm a big NBA fan. This was about girls playing basketball in Iraq. And he said, I have no sons. I've got two daughters. So I thought I'll watch this film. He said, I cried. The film made me cry and it turned my dial on understanding Islam and Muslims. Hmm. And he said, look, I can see what you're trying to do here. I, and I, I will back you. I will help you. I will coach you. I'm experienced in business. And actually, so he's really, really helped me understand all of these ideas, these concepts. And just, it's like, it's like my dad wasn't a businessman, but his dad was, his grandfather was, and he is. And so he, so I'm getting that. And then I've had some personal coaching around somebody where just this idea of resilience, but the biggest thing that came out of it, which I would give advice to anybody is 
define your purpose. You know, you mm. probably already know what it is. You've probably already been living it. But actually, when it's written down on paper, and then it's typed up and put on the wall, and you look at that every day, okay, that means that you you don't you don't you don't think about failure. You do not think about failure. You just simply, I mean, one of my co um, uh, you know founders is uh, Dr. Pichar. He's a very good friend. I'm sure he'll be listening. And uh, he his 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 PhD is in molecular biology. Okay, I'm sure I've said that wrong. <laughs> um, and he said to me, look, there's a, there's a lock and we have 100 keys. We have to try every key. We don't stop until we're done. And that, that, that comes from purpose and comes from commitment. Mm. So you make a commitment to something. Um, I could say easily for my 20s and 30s, but I haven't been committed to a lot of stuff. I'm just like kind of like hustle my way through stuff. If it gets too difficult, move on, try something else, right? Oh, yeah. But, I got to the point where I thought, no, there's nothing else. There's nothing else I'm going to do. I'm committed to making this work. Uh, and, and, and failure, well, that just comes off the table. Once you say, this is my purpose. I, my purpose is I've got to do this. This is what I'm, I'm here to share the heritage, the culture, and the beauty of the Muslim world. That's my purpose. Okay. And so when the failure is not an, it doesn't impact on me as much now, because what I see is I've got to carry on doing this, whatever happens. So the impact the impact is on the wife. The impact is on the family. The impact yeah. is on the mother-in-law. The impact is on the people who stand by you, see you get, you know, your ass kicked every day and, you know, see, see you suffer growing pains and just say, you know, oh man, just stop, you know, <laughs> just stop. <laughs> and, and, and God bless them. God bless them because they, 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 I've, I've been able to pour my heart out to them, sit them down and say, look, I have to do this, you know, and I, I know, I know because of, because I'm suffering, you're suffering. And yeah. I promise you, I, I will get better at it. I am not stupid. I'm doing my best. And, and, and it has, it has worked. And then also you just put some boundaries around it after a while. You know, you, you, it's like this idea people would say, Oh, it's your baby. And it's like, look, I have children, <laughs> I have a business <laughs> and I can assure you if there is a comparison to make, you want them to grow up and stand on their own two feet. And I want sure. that for the business as well. I don't want to be, it's dad forever. As it were, sure. you know? yeah. So we, we fast forward, you left the BBC, you tried this thing in the middle, you realize that there's a Muslim economy, you realize that there are consumers out there, you build this business model. So we fast forward to Alchemia. Uh, where are we now? How big is the subscriber base? How many countries are you operating in? What sort of footprint do you guys have content-wise? Um, I'm not allowed to say the subscriber base. We sign all sorts of deals. Okay, fine. Sure, fair enough. Um, but I can. What 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 really has happened? The significant thing that's happened is uh, earlier this year we went. We we had we had to shut down our original platform. The costs of it were spiraling out of control because it was a very early sort of VOD thing that we had done and we just you know again it's another lesson we learned so we we were lucky enough to be able to restart that um we've just launched apps which really helped people kind of ask for all of that and the big thing is the content we suddenly we worked out we had a lot of advice and we worked out a very fair system of um uh, distributing the the revenue that comes in and working with people who've got very high quality content. I mean, that's what the difference is. We're getting content, which people protect it. They spent a lot of money making that content. 
Mm. Um, and so it's not just something you know that they can just stick on YouTube and hope for the best. They 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 do need very professional things where there is a revenue coming in. And so we've cracked that, and it's given confidence to other content providers that actually we're the right people to do that. So uh, that our uh, unlike COVID, our spike is going up and steep, which is very, very good. Uh, retention, is, I can tell you retention is fantastic. It's hit 80%. So 80% oh. of the people who, who are hearing about it, trying out the trial, are sticking with us as customers. Of that 80%, about 40% of those are taking out an annual subscription. And really for me, that's what I'm, I'm actively involved in, is I'm trying to secure the first 20,000 fans as it were for people who are family they're going to be family they're, these are people who are like look i'll give you my number if you want you know kind of tell me what you want to see tell me what you don't like tell me what you like but you know but, but, but see what we're trying to do here it's a long journey to get to this place where we have so much revenue that we can actually start commissioning films we can start making big things and we can really make a huge impact and so we're looking for that and that's one of the things when i learned at the uh, at the at the bbc and this is something which actually I don't think many, there's a gap between that and, the, and what happens in the Muslim world. So at the BBC, the, the people, it, it, is, it is an elitist institution, okay? And this has become a very unfashionable idea these days of elitism. But fundamentally, you, you've got this kind of intelligentsia at the top who really are defining, you know, they're so carefully defining what culture is, what, cult, what culture of Britain is what the culture of this station is, what, what, is, what is it that people are consuming and watching and understanding and what role they play in society. And these people don't know, they don't know what a camera is, they don't know how, how to edit, they don't know any of that. But they are theoretical thinkers who understand actually this is how you create an institution that is a cultural powerhouse. In the Muslim world, we tend to have people who are making films who just fundamentally used, loved making cameras and shooting something and then they've evolved from that. And so actually that that's what's missing is that that we need we, we you know we're trying to put that in place where that first 10,000 uh, 5,000 people become they, they really drive what the quality is and the irony is that you know you, you we don't want to make something which is actually so uh, uh, high flying and elite that no one can understand it or it becomes too academic but actually the but you need people i mean i used to work in the history department and I'd make programs, they, they were considered to be the definitive program that was going to be made on any particular subject. So, for example, if, we, if I, uh, I did a film on the samurai sword, now what would happen is I could call, I, I would research who are the four foremost experts in the world on the history of the samurai sword. Tokyo University, you know, Kyoto, somebody in LA and somebody here at the British Museum. And so what would happen is I would call them and say, I'm calling from the BBC. They would all cooperate. Everybody wanted to be in the film. Everybody was sure. interested. Sure. And so I would, I would listen to their theories. They all contradicted each other, you know, uh, uh, and, and that's the case. And then, so I'd make this film. All of them would take part in the film. All of them would, would give their perspective, but I would edit the film and put it out. And when the film went out, the whole point of it was it had to be appealing to my next door neighbor that I'm taking a complex subject. So the Mongol invasion uh, of Japan, and, and, and the rise of the samurai sword. And then I have to make it exciting, I have to make it entertaining, and I have to make it engaging, but also I have to leave them educated on something. And what I've taken is taken all this wonderful academic uh, research and turned it into this program. 
And then when the program went out, all four of them would ring me up and be really upset that actually it was misrepresenting them or it wasn't good enough for them. Yeah. And that actually is the process. And so this is what I believe, you know, there are so many films that have just not been made. We've, we've, we've kind of been sidetracked into all kinds of ridiculous discussions, but some of the key ideas of Islam are missing. They're not, and they, they can't be presented in a dry way with one person standing at a podium, just giving a long lecture on it. But sure, sure. If, you, if you were to make a documentary on how the Wakaf worked, how the, how the concept of the Wakaf was established, and then, you know, the, the, the use of the Wakaf in Istanbul or in markets or whatever, or how it could be applied in the contemporary space, that's a, that's a game changer in terms of people's understanding of their relationship with money, you know. And so there are so many films like that. I mean, I mean, we're, we're now looking at commissioning um, the, the, the story of Sedna Khadija, but a female director, a female cast, only female contributors, you know, so a whole female perspective on her. How many hours of content do you currently have? Can you? We've just crossed over six hundred plus episodes, three hundred titles. Um, I mean, it's minuscule compared to Netflix of twenty-two thousand they used to have. I think they're also reducing it. There is a theory that actually, the more you offer, the the less people watch because there's a paralysis that takes place. So what, when we did a lot of research, and actually we've had so much help from some of the big players, they really like us for some reason. You know, people really think it's a great idea and they're like, wow, this is going to succeed. You know, that's, one of the, that's also one of the reasons why I kept going because you can, you, can, you, know, you can get personal opinions from people, but once you get specialist opinion and these people know, mm. they're like, yeah, that, that is, that's a goer. You know, you're going to make that work. That's absolutely the market's there. The people are there. Just stick at it. Our biggest challenge was not having enough uh, capitalization. We just, we tried this ridiculously ambitious project with virtually no investment. So that's what's caused a lot of problems. But um, when we asked people, what do you think is the tipping point for content? And they said, you're looking at about three, 400 titles and about 600 odd episodes of drama, you know, and we've hit that now. We just literally got there in the last month or so. And so this is considered to be, um, you know, we'll see what happens. But what happens is it means when you get onto the, onto the app, it's like an infinite scroll. It just seems to go on and on. And then the other thing we've evolved, which we think increasingly will start to happen with video on demand, we're moving away from just saying, here are movies, here are documentaries, here are short, here are, here's this we're actually starting to put themed collections together. So we just did um, La Bake, you know, Makkah Medina and the Hajj, and that's 20 films. And the earliest film is 1928. Uh, oh, so yeah. somebody from Java travels to Hajj yeah. and, you know, he recorded the whole thing. So we've got this range of stuff. And so like that, we're now scouring around for uh, ecology, you know, Islam and ecology. So that will be a collection of 10 to 15 films. And so what these collections will, they'll make it easier for people to navigate through and find that. Um, and then we may, we may do the same with cinema, you know, so we've already got a, a spiritual cinema from Iran section and we're looking at content from Turkey. And I think it's sort of, it, it just, it just allows people to get access to it, experience the content in different ways, rather than just be given like a warehouse of here's lots of stuff. Are you, are you currently undergoing a capital raise? We are about to do um, uh, a raise for to start producing Alchemy Originals, but we're going to go to launch good for that. Um, okay. And what we're offering people is a chance to sort of, as it were, contribute and be part of the thing, get some credits, as well as 
obviously we offer lifetime sub subscriptions. So that's about to happen. Um, and we, if we still, we, it, here's the crazy thing. There was a time when we were desperate for that 1 million investment, the series A investment. The series A investment means if you get that 98% of those companies go on for a 20 million, 30 million or a unicorn exit. Okay. Now we know the statistics because of black lives of, of those companies. Only I think 4% are women CEOs and only, I think the same four or five percent I've got people of color, you know. Sure. Yeah. And so it's it, and and then part of this sort of journey was spending a lot of time between KL, uh, Doha, um, you know, Dubai, uh, and, and Istanbul, and then me, you know, spending a lot of time Masharika, Baraka, learning the whole lot. Okay. And of course, what happens is no not possible you can't have islamic finance funds because you're intellectual property it's non-actualized assets and so we we're just not geared up for that we we predominantly prefer wait slow down what do you what do you mean by that well i i, I met you know look i get doors open i I've, I've met actually four bona fide billionaires okay so somewhere this bbc calling card works it really okay. makes want to see it but also i just send them the pitch deck this is no, what, but what do you mean about the finance what's wrong with islamic finance and your intellectual property they don't want to put money into it they don't want to put money into something which is a website oh this is not like for for sharia reasons they just don't want to mm. no for sharia reasons that's what i'm not getting what's the argument i might have non, it's a non-actualized asset so what's what's wrong with me investing in a non-actualized asset? That that's one of the rules of Sharia. That's what I was told. That it has to be real. If it goes wrong, they want to be able to seize the goods. <laughs> okay, we should definitely speak offline because that to me a lot of my time with the, that with that the, to me just sounds like an excuse. Like we're not gonna, we don't want to give you money. Well, which they, is fine. I don't give you my. I don't <laughs> that's accurate. We do basmati rice. We do, you know, you name it. We do real stuff, okay? But if you're talking about a website, you're talking about the internet, we don't know anything about it. And then you're talking about media. Oh, my God, you know, that's not us. The Jews do that. We don't do that. Okay, we'll talk about, we'll, we yeah, can talk about you know, that so, offline. So I, it, it, was a very, it was a very frustrating process going through that. And, it's also uh, an expensive process. People don't realize you have to spend a lot of money to go on the road and to meet all these people and yeah. put together yeah. your deck and and, and yeah. a few of you have to fly over to answer all the questions. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And so I came back, bought a book called The Lean Startup and actually just at that time, you know, learned a lot about, okay, how can we do this? And, it, and it's crazy. I mean, the media outfit with Lean, it's, it's kind of like people like you. This is Oxymoronic. Yeah. Exactly. So we, 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 we and then uh, at the same time, crowdfunding had been legalized, equity crowdfunding had been legalized. And I didn't, people said to me, why don't you just go on Kickstarter? And I just think, well, actually, look, you know, it's a bit dishonest. I'm going to charge people. I'm trying to make money. And also I'm trying to break the paradigm, the Muslim charity paradigm. I actually don't, I, I, I think there's a, there's a terrible situation that we've got into with creatives and Muslim charities. And I, I'd witnessed a lot of people suffer because of that. Mm. And so I don't really fully agree with it. What I actually think is, look, there is a commercial model here um, and people should pay, it's quality. There's no problem with paying for Netflix, so why not pay for this, right? And 
then we will work out some hybrid way of how do we add the 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 the, the kind of wakaf element to it okay yeah and so in kl i met people who said look we can give you fatwas we can issue fatwas because wakaf ilmiya is books and madrasa and the wakaf ilmiya funds they they run it over they've, they've done everything they can so they just sit there growing 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 but actually documentary is the same as a, as a book it's the same process so there, there should be some transferable thing so that's something that someone needs to take on you know a, a, a wakaf for content you know mm. put that structure together the world the, we we are behind we're really behind in terms of sure, yeah. we we we've, we've we've now almost amassed one of the largest collections of content about islam on the internet right yeah. no it's very and, good i mean i use the free uh, right. pass you gave me I actually gave it to my son my eldest son right. and I said you know I want you to spend a week on this and like tell me what you think and I've, and I've browsed the titles and inshallah mm. after this I plan to you know subscribe sure. for a year and I think it's a wonderful yeah. I'm very happy to see to see this and, and look I also see it as a resource not really as Netflix like you watch it every night you know in the evenings it's not like that it's just simply there comes a time when you you've, you need to know about something and it's there. It's a great library for there. We're finding well, a lot of One of the things you described is you said that your content is descriptive, not proscriptive. So I'm, I'm in the proscriptive business and you know, yeah. I stand up, I give the khutbah, half the people fall asleep within five minutes. And my khutbah is like 12 minutes long to start out with, you know, yeah. but you know, somebody has got to do it. And yeah. that's not going to be as effective as like that, you know, dunk, you know, the, the girls in Iraq playing basketball. Sure. Yeah. That's well, the uh, stuff that is that impacts a broad, you know, a broad array of people. Yeah, I, well, I think each, you know, everything has its purpose, and 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 what you do is look. That's prescribed. We have to do that, so we do that, you know, and it's important to do that. Um, I'm I'm not in any way seeing setting myself up in opposition to any of it, but I think we were clear. Look, we're not a madrasa, we're not a mosque, we're not teaching you, okay? Because that's the last thing people want to kind of pay money and sit and listen yeah. to this stuff. We are entertaining you you will find it entertaining and actually um and i learned this from my my interest in kuali music the the, the wisdom's wrapped in there it's like you get the sweet stuff first hmm. but actually we baked into it some good stuff for you so yeah, you're, you're, you, you know, know it's why people are still reading rumi right now that don't know anything about islam yeah yeah and uh and so yeah so so our our our, our thing we had to keep clarifying that when I mean, we say to people when muslim tv oh you mean scholars you mean talks you mean all this stuff no no we're not that okay mm -hmm. so what are you so that's where all this comes from you know descriptive not prescriptive and then on top of that i always say to people look we don't do alhamdulillah mashallah brother this sister that because we are thinking in the same way as the bbc anyone should come here anyone should feel comfortable they shouldn't arrive and go oops i've landed on some special muslim holy place i need to leave immediately yeah, yeah. if they get to our website they and and you know we 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 write now to some of our non-muslim you can see the non-muslims we will send them a message and so look i i'm just interested in the architecture of the yemen and this was the one place i could find some really nice films about it and uh, great Good for you. And someone else like, oh, street. I went to holiday on Istanbul and I love street food of Istanbul. And you had this great film. That's great, you know, because if once they're in, they're looking around, they'll find other stuff. And so for us, it's 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 really important that actually anybody should be able to to watch it. And it shouldn't it shouldn't feel like you've got to take your shoes off, cover your head to come in here. You know? Yeah. Uh, how how can we we help? I mean, uh, other than obviously, uh, uh, hopefully, I can get my listeners to subscribe. 
what, what other things do you need? You know, since this will go out there, inshallah, maybe we can, uh, I can list like some kind of contact uh, information for you. What kind of things do you guys need? Well, we do need investment. We're not going to say no to that. But, we, but we've now got to the point, I think this, this is what I was going to, we, we don't need it anymore. We don't need that million. We've crossed over that. We've done a lot of stuff. We've hustled our way through and we've suffered as well, but we've, we've, we've achieved it. So we're, not, we're down to like about two, two 300K would help us accelerate our progress. But on another level, we've realized there's value in going slowly. We just, we're, here, we're here for the long term. We're okay about that. We, you can see when people we can see the figures are really good for the uptake when people do hear about it they love it we get really good things so but what we're more interested in is having a group of investors who are uh, micro investors so at the moment the, the the largest amount of capital anybody has put into it is about twenty five thirty thousand dollars and the smallest was a thousand dollars so we really like the idea so what, what I'm doing is I'm taking a large amount of my stock uh, I'm the largest shareholder and I'm creating the Alchemir Foundation. So 51% of Alchemir in the future will be owned by the foundation, by the workup. Okay. And the foundation will be independent. Even, I, even from me, eventually, I'll sort of step out and just let this thing run. So what that means is the business is never for sale. It's ne there's no exit. It's never going to sell to Netflix or Amazon or anybody else. It's always The foundation will always assure that it stays to purpose, it stays to its editorial values, and that it constantly evolves with connection to the community. The other 49% is, is, is stock that anyone can buy. And when people buy it, they're custodians. We're looking for people who want the role of being custodian. And over time, if uh, there, are, there will be opportunities for them to exit and someone else will come in. So we'll, we're changing that whole paradigm. Don't come here if you think, you know, they're gonna turn it into some kind of unicorn, all of this kind of stuff. At the moment, we are UK, US, Canada, and Australia. Mm. We've restricted it on purpose because of some aspects of licensing. <clears throat> we, we've got a lot of Malaysians knocking on the door. We've actually got a very large Malaysian telco interested in carrying it. Um, we have now people from the Middle East, especially from uh, the Gulf, uh, asking, you know, why, why can't they get it? Why don't, you know, so we, I mean, half our traffic at the moment is coming from territories where they can't, where they can't see it, you know, um, okay. uh, India as well. So that, that's all in the pipeline, but actually to me, the, the, the real need is going to be for people to start thinking seriously about have, have I got a story that I could make that, you know, we need to move on from the whole, just the three minute YouTube clip that everybody's been sort of getting very good at we need to get those those and we need to start finding an economy we're trying to build a whole ecosystem here where people mm. can have professional careers it's not just something oh yeah part-time i do some youtubing it's something which actually there's a community of people who are prepared to pay for it there's a there's a customer base and then there's skills and talent within the community and those authentic voices need to come out Anything about the Alchemia Foundation? Is that public? Do you, is there a link? No, it's, it's, it even, even to set the foundation up, we need like $10,000 in the US. <laughs> Sorry, in the UK. In the UK, okay. it's a very, very thorough process, legal process. I think the yeah, US is... Yeah, I know. I had a charity in the UK. Everything costs money. But, you know, inshallah, the intention is there. I've made that commitment, you know. Um, to me, you know, it's, it, it, the, the, 
the, the success of it is just to see it see it live and see it succeed that kind of thing the monetary success it's not i'm, I'm too old I, I don't really care that much about it in, in that level um i i sorry i have to say i do care because my wife will kill me otherwise. yeah no it's, it's important <laughs> yeah. if it's um, not sustainable it's not going to grow and, and last so but, no, but i mean i, I think, think this is great i mean i, I my, my dad came to england with a group of people who were, set up grocery stores i mean today they're the, they're one of they're the sixth largest independently owned business in america uh, sorry in the uk hmm. um they, they they it's produced something like 55 you know millionaires and th two billionaires out of it, okay and they 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 run 400 schools in pakistan you know from hmm. from the charitable foundation and when when they were interviewed recently he said look we we we, we know people who've worked here when they were 16 We've helped them buy a house. We've helped them get their kids through grad school and they're still working for us, you know, and none of these guys have bought yachts or mansions. Or, they don't care for it. They, they get, and, and for me, I, I feel like that. I feel there's just so much talent in our community yeah. and to bring, to help gel that talent together so that we're kind of working together to create something that is a cultural, you know, makes a cultural ripple that that would be incredible. And I'm more, I'm, 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 I'm really committed to that. That's what I'm really focused on. Well, inshallah, uh, hopefully you get there fast and, and hopefully uh, our listeners will uh, participate. Would you like to end with anything, any ask, uh, a quote, a question, a thought? I'd like to let, let you have the, the final word. Uh, I don't know, you stumped me there. <laughs> Normally yeah, usually, usually that's the reaction I get. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. I know, I know the whole world has been through this period of halwa and in, introspection. We've been forced into it. You know, we've been forced into very tight circles. And of course, we always know, you know, after hardship, with hardship comes ease. And also, we also know after contraction comes expansion. So I, I feel optimistic that actually we have talent as a community. I'm talking about the global Muslim community. We have ideas, we have talent, we have culture, we have beauty, and I think I think this is an incredible. There are incredible opportunities, not just not just Al Khmer, but all of us, for us to sort of bring that together and create some new paradigms. Because there's a hungry world out there. You know, people people are looking for new ideas, new ways. Because we're seeing every day the failure of uh, processes which were started a hundred years ago. They're all dying. They're failing. And so actually we have some answers. Some of those answers are very traditional. They're very ancient. Some of them have come out of our philosophies. And I think this is a time for us to, because let's face it, we've had, we've had 20 years of having to keep our head down and quiet because of w w what we've been through. But actually, you know, I think now the focus is it's, it's for us to kind of find the confidence again to say, with, with integrity, with honesty, look, this is, we've, we've come out of that, you know, we've come out of it and we're okay. And this is what we want to do. Now. This is, this is where, this is what we can contribute to these societies. This is how we make them better. So I'm, I'm hopeful. And yeah, I, you know, please do take a look at the website. If people are, have ideas, if they're passionate about trying to get films made or there's something they'd like to discuss, we're, we're very open to that. Very open. Right, to I'll it. make sure there's a link uh, that they can c communicate with you guys. Uh, and uh, once again, thank you, Naveed, for making the time, and thank you for what you're doing. I mean, I'm very excited uh, that me and my family can enjoy, you know, this content. I mean, there's a lot of content, really. It's 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 pretty impressive. Um, so thank you for all your hard work, and inshallah, you're successful uh, in the near future.
Yeah. And likewise, I mean, I, I just glanced through your podcast and it's incredible, an incredible volume. And, and, and you see, all of this is really important. It's important for us to have just evidence of who we are and what we do and the good, as it were, you know, because let's I've, face it, we've seen all the bad. We, that's all we can see sometimes, you know. So actually, more of us need to kind of come forward and do that. So thank you. All, well. all right. Take care. Thank you very much. One more thing before you tune out. To help me stay focused and manage all the things I'm doing, I put together a weekly email called Friday Ruminations that highlights what I'm reading, working on, and thinking in four focus areas. Happiness, entrepreneurship, books, and Islam. If you'd like to receive these emails, which are 100% free, please go to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday to sign up. (laughs) 